If you're ever in South Wales, one of the best visitor, visitor attractions in my view, apart from obviously the house that Joel grew up in, which I think has a blue plaque above it now, the, the best visitor attraction I think is a place called Big Pit. And Big Pit was a working coal mine right up until the early 80s, and it's been preserved as the National Coal Mining Museum of Wales. And it's fantastic. You actually get to go down in a proper cage, and you go right down, you get to wear a, uh, a miner's safety hat, and you've got the, the safety lamp. And a retired miner takes you around underground, and you, you're, you're underground for a good hour, and you see a real big tour of the mine. And you get to see what life was like as a miner, uh, both hundreds of years ago and also more recently. And you go into one section of the mine, which has a door at each end, and then the miner gets the doors to be shut. And then the guy gets everybody there to turn their uh, safety lamps off and to show you what it was like for the young boys several hundred years ago who had to work down in the mines. And it was their job to man these doors. It was like an airlock. And these lads would sit in total darkness, probably lads, sort of boys of eight or nine, sit in total darkness until a bell rang, and they knew then they had to open one of these doors to let uh, miners come out with pit ponies and to pull uh, like a trainload of coal out. And they would sit in total darkness for hours doing this job. And the guide gets you then to, to, to switch your lamps off to get a feel for what that darkness was like. And it's a really, really weird and to be honest, quite an unpleasant moment because it's complete and utter darkness. You cannot see a thing. There's no light at all. It's not like putting your lights out at home and, and sort of drawing the curtains or being out in the countryside where there's no street lights. Because when you do that, there's always some light, isn't there? And, and your eyes quickly adjust to the light and you can very quickly start to make things out, even in the darkest sort of situation. But this is different. There is no light. There is completely, there's just zero light. There's no light at all. And, and they get you to hold your hand up in front of your face and you can't see anything. You can't see it. You can't even make out the movement of it whatsoever. It is complete and utter darkness. And it's a bit freaky, to be honest. And if you're remotely scared of already being underground, which lots of people are, and then you're scared of the dark and then you get a bit claustrophobic, some people really start to freak out. And they only keep the lights off just for a few minutes just to, because people do start to panic and you can, you can hear some of the people in the group really panicking. Unfortunately, they then put the the lamps back on and, uh, and then everybody relaxes but for those few moments it's a really freaky moment it's a real kind of panicky strange sensation darkness is, is is horrible isn't it darkness real darkness like that is a really kind of scary thing it, it, it's, it's scary being deprived of your sight suddenly I can't see anything and not knowing what's around you or, or even what's happening around you. You don't know what's coming towards you. You don't know what's about to happen. And it's a really unpleasant thing. And darkness brings fear, doesn't it? When it's dark and you really can't see, there's, there's a natural fear as to what is happening around you. It's a fear of being on our own. Maybe we're completely alone in the dark. Or it's a fear sometimes of what might happen to us in the dark because we can't see what's going on around us. And a fear of the bad things that often happen in the dark. Lots of bad things happen at night in the dark. And bad people use the darkness as a cover to do bad things. And so darkness brings real fear. The Bible teaches us that every single human being is born into spiritual darkness most people are born able to physically see not everybody but most of us but every person is born spiritually in the dark and spiritually blind bible teaches us that every human being is born physically alive 
but spiritually dead. And physically able to see, but spiritually unable to see. Spiritually blind, spiritual darkness. We're all born into physical light. Even babies born in a power cut, there's still sunlight there. But we're all, according to the Bible, born into spiritual darkness, into spiritual blindness. We're all born spiritually blind. We're all born into spiritual darkness. We're born spiritually dead. And that's because of sin. We're all born as sinners who are separated from God. Living in darkness, spiritually blind, unable to see God or to have a relationship with him. And the Bible uses the idea of darkness over and over again in the Bible to teach us what it's like to live without God in our lives. It's used as a picture of that. Just as physical darkness means we can't see physically, so spiritual darkness means that we're unable to see things for how they really are. We're we're unable to see what is really true in this world. Physical darkness brings danger to us because we can't see the obstacles in front of us. If you, if you have complete darkness, you, you, you're going to walk into something. Or if you try and drive in, the, in a car without any light, sooner or later you're going to hit something. And we do the spiritual equivalent. When we're spiritually blind, we have the spiritual equivalent. We have spiritual accidents. We, we end up in situations where our lives go wrong and we end up in a mess. Physical darkness is used as a cover, isn't it, for all sorts of bad things that go on. Bad things happen at night and in the dark. People get robbed, people get attacked, people get murdered, mostly in the dark, because darkness is a cover for bad things to happen. And spiritual darkness is the same. We we find ourselves doing bad things, and we find ourselves on the receiving end of bad things. And ultimately, the Bible says that spiritual darkness leads in this life to eternal darkness when we die. Spiritual darkness in this life, which we're naturally born into, if we don't deal with that spiritual darkness, will lead eventually to eternal darkness. The Bible uses the imagery of darkness to convey something of the awfulness of hell. It describes hell as a place of blackest darkness, the, 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 the darkest darkness there is. And the Bible teaches us that there are two ways to live in life. Whilst we're here on earth, we can live in that darkness that we're born into, or we can make a difference, make a change to our life, and live in the light instead of the darkness. The Bible teaches us that there are two spiritual kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of light. Kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan, kingdom of light ruled by Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There should be a, an outline in your seat, and there's various things for you to fill in. If you want to use that, it's there for you this morning, and all the verses will be there on, on the screen. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And right throughout the Bible, we see God calling us to step out of the darkness and into the light, to leave the kingdom of darkness and to join the kingdom of light. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at John 7 and, and, and John 8 in the New Testament of the Bible, where Jesus was teaching in Jerusalem at the feast or the, or the festival of tabernacles about six months before his crucifixion. And we saw two weeks ago how every day during this seven-day feast, the high priest of, of Israel would carry a big pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam through the streets of Jerusalem into the temple, and he would pour out that pitcher of water onto the altar. And that was to remind the people of how God had provided water from the rock in the desert when the people had left Egypt uh, 1,400 years earlier than when Jesus was, was speaking. And it was also to point forward symbolically to the fact that when the Messiah came, God's chosen, appointed, anointed king 
when this special Messiah or Christ would come, he would then satisfy people's, not just their physical thirst, but he would satisfy their spiritual thirst. And if you remember, if, if you were here or watching at home, you remember how Jesus stood up seven days after this water was poured out every day, after these seven days, and at the end of that seven days, Jesus stood up with all of this imagery and symbolism going on, and, and, and Jesus shouts out, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Well, then, in addition to the water being poured out each day, something else would happen every night during the the festival. Four huge oil lamps, which were 75 feet high, absolutely enormous things, in the temple courtyard where Jesus was speaking. They would be lit each night as part of this festival. And here's a picture. It's it's, it's a model, obviously, but that's a model of what the the, the temple would look like in Jesus' time and of what those massive big oil lamps and the light that they would have shone out. You get a real sense for just how big they were and how powerful they were. And that was to commemorate the way that God had led the people of Israel 1,400 or so years earlier through the desert by that pillar of fire at night and to symbolize the spiritual light that God brings into people's lives. And as the Feast of Tabernacles came to an end, after seven days of these huge lamps being lit every night, symbolizing God's light, Jesus stands up and he says something remarkable again. So let's read what happens in John 8, and we're going to read from verses 12 to 20. John chapter 8 and verse 12 to 20. You can just listen or you can turn and and follow as I read it out to you this morning. So John chapter 8, verse 12 to 20. And remember, the the setting here is at the end, the, the, the the end of these seven days of these lights being lit every night and this ma- these massive lights lighting up Jerusalem. Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his time had not yet come. So Jesus stands up at the end of his seven days of these massive lights being put on every night, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in saying this, Jesus was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the one who could, who had come to give us God's light in our life and to remove that darkness that we're all born into. Jesus was claiming to be the one who could give us light to enable us to really see, not physical sight, but spiritual sight, so that we're no longer kind of groping around in the darkness of our of our lives, trying to make sense of life and and, and what the point of life is all about. Jesus was claiming to be the one who could remove our spiritual blindness, our spiritual darkness, and give us the light that we need so that our whole lives are transformed. 
We're all born spiritually dead, spiritually thirsty, spiritually hungry, spiritually blind and in spiritual darkness. And Jesus offers us spiritual life, spiritual water, spiritual food, spiritual sight and spiritual light. He offers to totally transform us in every way. As we've seen in today's passage, the the religious rulers, the Pharisees, they just didn't get what Jesus was saying or maybe they didn't want to get what Jesus was saying. And they have this whole debate with Jesus about what right he had to say these things and, and, and where he was from and, and who his father was. And in doing so, they were basically showing that they were still blind. They were blind guides. In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus calls them blind guides, blind people leading the blind. They weren't prepared to recognize who Jesus was. They weren't prepared and, and, and ready to recognize that Jesus was the light and the life that he can bring and, and transform us with. I don't know where you stand today as far as Jesus is concerned, but can I respectfully say this to you this morning, that unless you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus and surrendered your life to him, then according to the Bible, and according to Jesus, you are in darkness. You are living in spiritual darkness right now that will lead to eternal darkness in what the Bible calls hell. The Bible says this, the God of this age, and he's referring, to, he's referring to Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the God of this age, of course, is Satan, the devil. But Jesus has come so that you can have sight, that you can have light and life. And Jesus offers to come and rescue you from that darkness and to bring you into the light. The Apostle Paul, writing to Christians in the New Testament, writing to people who had trusted in Jesus, he says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And that's something that Jesus offers you this morning. If you have yet to put your faith and trust in him, he's, he's offering you a spiritual rescue. He's offering to come and switch the lights on for you in your life. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and, and surrender our lives to him and, and make him in charge of our lives, he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. We're no longer ruled by the darkness and by the, the God of the darkness. And instead, he, he brings us and rescues us, and brings us into the kingdom of light, ruled by Jesus. And the light that he gives to us and brings us into gives us life. Jesus describes it as the light of life or the light that brings life, eternal life. Life not just now, but for all eternity. Jesus says this in John 12, 46. I have come into the world as a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So this morning, if you've yet to trust in Jesus and surrender your life to him, can I challenge you to take that step today? To confess the fact that you are a sinner. That you're living in darkness and that you need to be forgiven. You need the light that Jesus can bring and only Jesus can bring. And to ask Jesus to forgive you, to rescue you, to save you and to pledge to follow him. Because Jesus brings light and that light gives eternal life. But it's a choice that we have to make. Just because we grew up in a Christian family or going to church, that doesn't mean that this is ours. We have to choose to do this, to follow Jesus, and in doing so, surrender our lives to him. And, and that's something you can do right now, whether you're watching at home or, or whether you're here in the room this morning. And if you'd like to talk more about that, if you'd like to know more about what that means, then 
please do come and chat with me afterwards. I'll be delighted to talk further with you. It may be this morning that you're a little bit like the Pharisees. They knew lots about God, but they didn't know God in a personal way. Bentley referred to being a little bit like that, knowing about God, but not actually having that saving relationship with God until he trusted in Jesus. In verse 19, we read this, Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. It's possible to know lots about God, lots about the Bible, to go to church every week. But unless you come to Jesus and surrender your life to him, you will never know God in a personal way. In in the last two weeks, it's been fantastic, hasn't it? To hear about two people here at Regent who have surrendered their lives to Jesus and have put their faith and trust in him. That's that's amazing. Daryl, a week uh, past Thursday, and Veronica, sadly Veronica's had to work this morning, but Veronica just this last Tuesday. How fantastic is that? Isn't that brilliant? Two people who've trusted in Jesus in the last uh, week or two. That's amazing. And Daryl and I met together on Tuesday to begin studying the Bible together. And he was just explaining to me and sharing with me how much he feels completely different and how much he knows he's changed, even just in these last two weeks since he's trusted in Jesus. Because he knows that he's been rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And now he feels very different. That's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't that amazing that God changes us? Both Daryl and Veronica have moved from being in the kingdom of darkness to being in the kingdom of light. And they've come to know God, not just know about God, but now to know God in a deeply personal way and in a way that saves them and that life-transforming way. And that's the case for lots of us here this morning, isn't it? Loads of us today can say, yeah, I can look back on a point in my life, or maybe I can't give you a specific point, but I know now that I do trust in Jesus. I know now that I've that I love him and I've given my life to him. We can look back and know that we've trusted in him and we've moved from darkness into light. And when that happens, our whole identity is changed and transformed. We now live in the kingdom of light. We're spiritually alive. We are forgiven. We've been declared holy. The Bible calls us holy ones or saints. God's light has shone like a big searchlight right into our hearts and totally changed us so that now we can see reality. We can really see Not seeing in black and white, but seeing in color. We can see and we can relate to God. And now we've got this wonderful relationship with God as a father through Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we trust in Jesus, we discover that God has chosen us. He's given us the role of priests to worship him and to help others worship him. We're a people that now belong to God. And the purpose of all this, according to the Bible, is that we should praise and worship him. Peter says this in the Bible, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So Jesus' light in our lives changes us into worshippers, into priests, and into servants of God. Write that on your outline. Jesus' light in our lives isn't just for our benefit. It transforms us, and it gives us a whole new role and identity. We become worshippers of God. We become priests of God. We become servants of God. We go from people who, according to the Bible, are by very nature enemies of God and objects of his wrath to being those who worship him, who serve him, and have this wonderful role of being priests of God. 
Did you know that if you've trusted in Jesus, you are a priest? If you have trusted in Jesus, you are a priest. Every person that has trusted in Jesus, according to the Bible, is a priest. And as well as worshipping God as priests and helping others worship God, the role of a priest is to bring people to God who don't yet know him and to bring God to those same people. Jesus says these words in Matthew 5. He says, talking to us, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus shines his light into our life and rescues us from darkness, we become the bearers of his light. We're, like, we're meant to be, and we are, huge mirrors that are reflecting the, the light of Jesus onto other people so that they too can then experience the light of Jesus. Jesus wants us to reflect his light. Write that down. Jesus wants me, wants you this morning to reflect the light that he's given to us and to be like a big like walking mirror. And as we follow Jesus and reflect his light so that other people see his light through us and in us and, and shining from us, People will see that we're different from how we used to be when we were part of the darkness. People will see how different we are to the world around us because our whole identity now has been changed by Jesus. I wonder who in your life that doesn't yet know Jesus sees Jesus' light being reflected in you. Who in your life sees Jesus' light shining through you? Of course, for that to happen, it means we've got to intentionally spend time with people who are not yet Christians, doesn't it? People won't see that light if we're not hanging out with people who haven't got that light yet. We need to intentionally spend time with people who are currently in the darkness for them to see that light reflecting and shining through us. Otherwise, how will they see Jesus' light? And if and when you do spend time with non-Christians, do you let your light shine or do you do the equivalent of what Jesus was talking about there in Matthew 5 of hiding your light under a bowl, kind of keeping it to yourself so that nobody else really sees it? Somebody once said, if it was illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If it was illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I think it's fantastic how in this church... There are so many people actively engaging with non-Christian friends and family and, and just sharing the gospel, sharing the good news and bringing friends to church and bringing people to things like Fit for Life. There are people here this morning who are here because other Christian friends befriended them at school or, or at work and, and the family and have led them to Jesus or have been part of that process. And, and that's brilliant, isn't it? That's great that that is part of the DNA of this church. And I want to really encourage you just to keep doing that, to keep letting your light shine or the light of Jesus shine through you to the people that you're working with, the people that you're uh, living with perhaps, the people that you uh, uh, are hanging out with at school or, or at uni or wherever that might be, that the others would see the light of Jesus, that they too would come to faith in Jesus through you. Wouldn't that be brilliant if not just two or three people this year, but loads more people came to know Christ because of the light shining and reflecting out from us. It'd be wonderful. The Bible describes sinful actions and behaviours as belonging to the darkness or belonging to the night. Whereas the kind of actions and behaviours that please God are 
are, are described as belonging to the light or belonging to the day. And, and of course, lots of sinful actions do take place at night under the cover of physical darkness. That's why we have streetlights to, to cut crime. If you don't have streetlights, you have really bad crime. But when we trust in Jesus, our identity is changed from those who belong to the darkness or who belong to the night to those who belong to the light or belong to the day. Paul writing to the Christians at Thessalonica in Greece in the New Testament says this, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And because if we've trusted in Jesus, we belong to the light and the day rather than to the night and the darkness, that means that it should transform our behavior. Our behavior should be the kind of behavior that is associated with the day and with the light rather than with the dark and with the night. Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus, in, in, in what is now modern-day Turkey, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We were once darkness, if we've trusted in Jesus, we were darkness, but we're not anymore. Our identity has been changed, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Our identity has changed. Now we are light in the Lord. And because our identity has changed and we are light, our behavior should then match up to our new identity. Paul says, live as children of the light. Because you're light, live as light. You are light, so be light. And he describes the result of God's light in our lives as leading to goodness and righteousness and truth and whatever then pleases God. Conversely, we're meant to turn away from the darkness, what he calls the fruitless deeds of darkness, and have nothing to do with them. In fact, the light in us should expose the deeds of darkness, he says. God's light within us will help us see into the dark, deep kind of recesses and corners of our life where sin is at work and is unchallenged. If you think of your life as a bit like a room, what sins, what deeds of darkness are still trying to hide in the corners, trying to hide in the shadows? What sins need exposing by the light that, 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 that Jesus brings? Are, are there sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors, sinful thoughts and, and attitudes and actions that are lurking in the shadows, in the corners of the, the room of your life? And if so, what will you do about those sinful deeds of darkness? The Bible says that if we've trusted in Jesus, we are light. So the sinful actions that once characterized us should be replaced by things that now please God. And John says in John 8, 12, that those who follow him will never walk in darkness. And of course, he means that in the general sense, but it's also about us choosing not to walk in darkness. We are now light, but we don't always behave as if we're in the light, do we? It's a daily choice we have to make to live up to our new identity as those who are light. John says this in 1 John verse 6, 1 John 1 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. And the point is that if we have trusted in Jesus, then we should be following Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, we should and will be making the daily choice to say no to sin. We can't claim to be in relationship with God if we're still walking in the darkness or behaving in ways that belong to the darkness rather than the light. And at the heart of what it means to trust in Jesus is to then repent 
or to turn away from all that we know that is wrong and then to continue to do that every day and to live like Jesus, to live in the light, to live like the light. One very specific way that we see this working out in the New Testament is seen in our relationships with other Christians. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, love one another, love each other Christians. As, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then commenting on this command of Jesus for us to love one another, John, the apostle, says this in 1 John chapter 2, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. And that old command is, of course, the command of Jesus to love one another. And then John goes on to say, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And according to John here, if I hate another Christian brother or sister or I'm behaving in a sinful way towards another Christian brother or sister, I'm still living in the darkness or at the very least I'm behaving as if I'm living in the darkness. My behavior is not matching up to my new identity. Nursing a hatred towards another Christian or nursing a grievance in our heart or refusing to forgive them or talking about them behind their backs or behaving in a sinful way to them is incompatible with being a follower of Jesus. It's deeds of darkness and it's incompatible with the deeds of the light and we are now light. I wonder this morning if you have a Christian brother or sister who you need to forgive or you need to uh, perhaps repent of an attitude in your heart towards them. Somebody in this church or, or somewhere else, I don't know. If, if that's you today, then can I really encourage you to put that situation right so that your behavior matches your identity as a child of the light who belongs to the day. We are light, so let's be light. We are light, that is who we are if we've trusted in Jesus, so let's be light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This morning, if you know that you are living in darkness, then can I challenge you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, to step out of the darkness into the light and receive eternal life that only Jesus can give you. For those of us who've done that at some point in our past, Let's remind ourselves of our new identity as those who have the light of life, as those who are light. Let's remind ourselves that we're a chosen people, we're a royal priesthood, we are a people that belong to God. We are the light of the world. We are children of the light, we're children of the day. Let's remind ourselves that we're light in the Lord. And let's make that daily choice to live as children of light and therefore have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Daniel and the band are going to come and uh, lead us in one final song. Light of the world. Let's just, as the band come up, just reflect on what God has been saying to you this morning. And if, if the Lord is speaking to you, then don't put that off. Respond as one who lives in the light or step into the light for that very first time.